We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. Um, if you don't mind, let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Actually, write that down. You'll turn there, write it down, and then also write down Matthew 9 and 9. We're going to be in the message version from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and the NIV, Matthew 1 and 1. Do you guys like our Christmas decorations? I thought that was pretty cool. I have some of the most amazing in-laws on the planet, man. It's, it's, uh, they're uber-talented when it comes to doing stuff. I think my father-in-law is probably the only 60-plus-year-old man that cannot work me. Anybody. <laughs> he just knows what he's doing when it comes to that stuff. I thank God for them and everybody else who put their hand in making sure that this thing was, was what, it, what it needed to be. I thank you for your efforts, um, picking up coffee and drinks and um, your mind and your input, everything, all of it matters. The setup, I think this is great, and I think God is pleased. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, um, stay there, and we'll, we'll dive into it. I've got a special Christmas gift for you today. Um, I'm starting early. I only have two points today. Look at that. Now, you know me. I'm just a routine three, four-point guy. But I got two because I wanted to give you a Christmas gift this morning. So I'm let y'all go ahead and unwrap that right now. <laughs> I used to hate when my mom, she would, uh, I, I, was, I was one of those kids that just would, like, shake up until the moment Christmas hit. And I would just beg her, Mom, can I open up something, something, something? <laughs> So she would, she, okay, you can open up something like two or three days early. And she would, my mother sold Avon. Remember Avon? Does anybody remember Avon? <laughs> Is it still around? She was like the Avon lady. She had boxes upon boxes of stuff. And the only gifts that she would allow me to open was the Avon stuff. It was like a brush. And it was like roll-on deodorant. <laughs> like, why won't you let me open the good stuff? I know you got some of it. But I'm letting y'all open something early this morning. Um, when you start to think about um, being home for the holidays, specifically um, Christmas, it is the one time a year um, for most of us um, that we can set aside um, or look beyond the differences, um, sometimes the discontent um, and the distance and the dislike that we have for our family members at times. Most of us can look beyond those things. It is the one time of year that we can get beyond all of the issues that we have with a person. Um, you know, Sheila, I ain't seen you in a minute. You know, you know how we do that. Um, it is the one time of year that most of us can get beyond the dislike, discontent, distance that we have with family members because we have this thing down inside of us that just yearns to be close and, and to, to have relationship around this, this time of year. Um, for, for us, is, for my house, um, it, is, it is oftentimes distance. Specifically now with my son being in college and playing football, um, you know, and don't y'all judge me at all because I know that y'all be doing that because I can tell the way you look at me. Um, but, you know, when the holidays roll around, you know, for the past three years, they've, two years, they've been in a bowl game. So that makes Jordan coming home very complex. 
It's kind of like we're you know, doing jump rope. It's like, is he coming? Is he not coming? And my wife has no patience for that. It's like he needs to come home. And I'm standing on the side of like um, understanding and what makes sense. I'm saying to myself, well, if the boy don't tell me he can come home pretty soon, I can't get him a flight that I can afford. So how about we text him his gifts, pictures of his gifts, and kind of let him stay down where, he, where he's at. And because it costs us too much to get the boy home. I love him, but I don't want to pay four or $500 for a ticket from Miami. It just, <laughs> if we can plan this out, the boy can come home and we can get beyond the distance. But my wife isn't trying to hear it. She will look at me in, in a certain way to let me know that she ain't playing with me. And it's like, I can see it in her eyes that this boy has to come home, Montel. He has to come home. And I have to fall into it. I've got to make sure that I get the boy home because we have this yearning, this, this posture that we just take on when it gets around the holidays, specifically Christmas, that we want to make sure that the ones that we love, even the ones that we tend to have lost love for, are close to us. We want them home for the holidays. Doesn't even matter. One would think that that feeling, that emotion, that yearning that we have is original to us original to humanity and it's not so i want you to understand that 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 feeling that 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 emotion that yearning that we have actually comes from our heavenly father you see there was this distance this dislike this discontent that that came about between us and god because of our sin that made us kind of stray away from him and then our, our heavenly father says, you know what? This was not the design that I had. I want my, my, my child home for the holidays. And I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to make sure that I bring them home. Yeah, yeah. So he, 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 God himself, he, he, he steps out of glory. He walks away from divinity. He wraps himself in flesh. And he comes down to earth as a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. So what he does is that he, 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 listen to me, this is so important. He draws near to a people who had drawn far away from him. He draws near to a people who draws far away from him. And he says, listen, I don't know if you're going to come home or not, but what I do know is that there's an open door if you ever decide that you want to come home. I don't care if you come home empty-handed. I don't care what you've gotten yourself into. It doesn't matter to me because you belong to me and I want you home. He says, I don't care how much it costs. I got to get my babies home. I love them too much. You see, God is love. So the fallout, the issue, the problem wasn't on his behalf. It's always been on our behalf. And, and, and we oftentimes feel that we can't come home because I don't want to come home empty-handed. I don't want Christmas to roll around and not have nothing to give back because I know how much he's given to me. And right now, God, I don't have anything to give to you, so I'm not coming home today. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, he says, listen to me, it does not matter. I don't care what you've done or where you at or who you call yourself being. You belong to me. And I want you home. I want you back home. He says, listen, this, this is so powerful to me. He says, I don't care how much it costs me. I'll give my last for you. I'll give up my only, <laughs> I'll give my only begotten son for you. 
I got to make sure that they understand that they've got an open door, an open invitation to come home. And I don't know if all of my babies know it. All of my children know it. You see, they've been caught out there in their mess, and they've been caught out there in their feelings about me, and, they, and oftentimes they feel some kind of way about themselves, and they won't come home. But what I want them to know, it does not matter to me what it looks like. I want you home for the holidays. Now, God is not like me. You know, ten, I have to figure it out, so I'll be piecing all kind of flights together and things and all that kind of stuff. But he had a plan in place. Oh, gosh. You see, before he, before, he, before he formed us, he knew us, and he knew that we would have certain complexities and certain issues and, and, and things about us that we, we wouldn't be able to reconcile with him. So he put a plan in place before all of this took place to make sure that you could come home for the holidays. You don't have to hitch a ride. Oh, gosh. You don't have to hitch a ride. You don't have to ask anybody about it. He says you are welcome home. Even if you've turned your back on me, you're, you're welcome home. But I want you to be able to connect with this. Do, do you ever have that family member that you just ain't seen in a while? And they've been gone so long that they don't feel comfortable coming home. You, you, I mean, maybe you're that family member or whatever the case may be. But th there is always someone who says, you know what, I don't know how mama going to receive me. i just be honest with you. I've had some family members do some vile stuff. Vile <laughs> stuff that wasn't good, and somehow, someway, and I never understood it. My mother was just so in love with him. She, 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 she saw beyond everything they had done, and she says, "Listen, if if he or she decides to come home, guess what? It's a meal waiting right there for him. This morning, your father is asking all of us, "I want you home." So I asked you to turn to the book of. Uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. And I think there's two things that really speak to the fact that um, God is, and I'm going to say it like this, and I'm going to try to keep it plain. I'm trying not to use too many words. God is tired of us just um, celebrating Christmas. I think all of us do a great job of celebrating Christmas. For God, though, for us, it's a celebration, but for God, Christmas is an experience. For God, Christmas should be a spiritual exchange or an experience with his son or daughter. The birth of baby Jesus now puts us in a position where there can be a spiritual exchange between our Heavenly Father and us. And I think Matthew frames it up so that we can understand that we have to move beyond just celebrating Christmas and experience Christmas. Do you get that? You know, some things you just go to and you're a part of, but then there are other things that you actually experience. Um, my mother, would, she, would, she was like the disciplinarian. Um, my father hit me one time in my entire life, and that was all it took for me to make sure that I didn't mess with him again. But my mother, my mother was the, the disciplinarian, and um, she would be the one to pass out the whippings for the most part when, when I was little. Now, when I got bigger than her, she kind of, you know, she picked her pockets. and she would. Um, but but th there were times where she would just have a conversation with me. She would just say, well, you need to tighten up. You need to stop. Or I'm going to do something. 
she, she was just having an exchange with me. She was, you know, it was, you know, just in, in passing, you know, just, just chill out, don't do nothing. But then there were times where I had to experience Diane Underwood. There's a difference between a celebration of Christmas and an experience of Christmas. There's relationship involved. And here's the thing. I want you to understand this because I got so much I want to say. And that's why I, that's why I honestly have two points because I have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus came. Watch this now. Jesus did not come for religion. He didn't come so that we can go through a rhythm of going to church and, and, and you know, and, and feel like we should take this posture on on every Sunday. And, you know, we, 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 we go along with worship and then we give our offering and then, you know, we go into a sermon and then we, you know, get dismissed. And, all, you know, he didn't come for religion. He came for relationship. So I'll give it to you like this. And this is the point. If you have yet to develop a relationship with him. If you have yet to develop a relationship with God, then you have yet to experience Christmas. For God, it is an experience. For us, it's oftentimes a celebration. God says, I want to be in relationship with my people. I want to be in relationship with my son and daughter. Amen? So listen, let's get these two points. Because I've been talking a lot already. Are you getting anything? Let's read Matthew 1.1, NIV version. Um, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, David the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I'm going to stop right there. Everybody shout Uriah's wife. My first point for you today, um, Jesus is credible. Jesus is credible. Say that with me. Jesus is credible. He's not incredible. He is incredible, but he's credible right now. Um, Matthew begins his his Christmas story or the birth of Jesus um, with a genealogy which was not uncommon in that day to, to do um, for a great leader um, or a great military man or whatever. Um, it, it wasn't uncommon to do. Um, but it was different for what had, had been done with the Gospels. He was the only one to give us a genealogy um, to back up that far um, in giving us um, the root of Jesus to make sure that we fully could, could connect with him and understand him. Um, this genealogy was extremely important for what Matthew was doing. Um, Matthew's gospel is written to a Jewish audience, um, and, and it was important that for, um, for Jesus that he was um, deemed credible in the eyes of the Jewish believer. So what Matthew does is that as soon as he opens up 1-1, he says that he was the son of, of, of David, the, the son of, of Abraham. He quickly connects dots to let the Jewish reader understand that you can believe him as the Messiah. It was extremely important because they had to know first that he was one of us. Yeah. Yeah. That connection was made through Abraham. Yeah. 
And then the second thing they needed to know was that he was of the bloodline of King David. So when, 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 when Matthew writes out oh, the genealogy of Jesus, he, he hits it real quick. He says, listen, y'all can go ahead and believe him. He's legit. He is the Messiah because he is one of us, and he comes from the bloodline of David. Now, you've got to understand that all of these things about Jesus had already been prophesied, and that is the reason why the Jewish reader or the listener was trying to make sure that whatever was prophesied in the Old Testament matched up with what was written about him in the life that he lived. So Matthew makes sure that he says to them, uh, yeah, 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 he, he he's legit. You can go ahead and give your belief on him because he's credible. Don't worry about it. He's one of us, y'all. Chill out. He's good. You know, he's all right. And, And he's from the bloodline of David and all those things are good. They wanted to make sure before we give our belief to Jesus, before we, we, we cast him as the Messiah, he's credible. Shout, he's credible. Now I understood all that. I said, okay, he had to make the connection between the two, and, and, and for those readers, a genealogy, genealogy was extremely important because ancestry meant everything. That meant that you were who you were, and I could tie it all back. As a matter of fact, they used to keep these records uh, in, in um, local government houses back in the day, in ancient days, to, for anybody to go read. So whoever wanted to read them could go in there and say, okay, he's legit. I don't know if you can call it like a blue blood, but we want to make sure he's a blue blood. You know what I mean? They wanted to make sure that kind of stuff. So I got that. When he talks about Abraham and David, I understood it because he had to prove it. I had to prove that he is the seed of Abraham that is going to be a blessing to all of the earth. And then I have to prove that he is also the seed of David because he will have a king that will sit on the throne forever. This is he. This is Jesus. This is the one. But then for me, the genealogy goes a little sideways. So I'm sitting here reading this genealogy, and I get it. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's cool. You know, you got Abraham, you got David. But then he starts to mention people like Judah and Jacob, um, Manasseh, um, 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 Rahab. He starts to, he names, um, he names Ruth. He names Tamar. He, he sprinkles in all of this, these, these people who have a bit of an unsavory past. And I'm saying to myself, well, Matthew, why would, you, why would you do that? I'm like, do you know, here's the thing, do you know what you're trying to prove to us? You're trying to prove that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, but on the same hand, you sprinkle in his genealogy, in his ancestry, all of these people who you probably shouldn't have mentioned. You probably should have never said Tamar's name. Not Tamar of our day, y'all. Tamar in the Bible. Tamar said, not this Tamar, another Tamar. He rambles off all of these different people. And here's the thing that gave me neon lights. Whenever you did an answer, uh, uh, um, a genealogy in those days, you never mentioned the name of a woman. You never mentioned it. It's kind of like, our, like our, the way we work today, right? When, um, you know, before I met my wife, she was Shatina Martin. But when she married me, she took on my name, and then who she was went away, essentially. She picked up my name. So the reason why they only mentioned men was because the name stuck with them. It didn't stick with the woman. All right? But in, in this setting, and what he's trying to do in improving Jesus, improving that he can be believed, he talks about all of these women that have a bit of a checkered past, except for Ruth. Ruth was a good girl. <laughs> only, only problem with Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite and they weren't supposed to commingle with Moabites so that was an issue in itself 
But he mentions um, this girl by the name of Rahab. Okay, I'll go ahead and give y'all her title. It was Rahab the harlot. If you don't know what harlot means, I'll let you Google it later. But, but he, he mentions Rahab the harlot. He mentions Tamar, who gets into some really funky stuff with her father-in-law. And there's a lot of stuff going on in this genealogy for me that did not make sense. But then I sat for a second and I said, God knew that the 21st century reader would have to hear these things in order to make sure that we knew in our eyes that Jesus was credible. Because in our eyes, we should never be able to come to a Jesus, a holy Jesus, a savior like this in the condition that we're in. So he mentions all of these people to let us know that, I'm going to hook it up, 21st century, Jesus got street cred. He's credible. He's credible with you and I. Because for some strange reason, we can get this idea in our mind about who Jesus is and how holy Jesus is and, and, and how his divinity works. And we'll say to ourselves, I'm disqualified, I can't believe. But what he is saying is this, he is credible to be believed. By you. Because of the checkered past in his, in his genealogy, he lets us know that he connects with us. You can go ahead and believe in him. Watch this. It doesn't matter the mess that you're in. He's saying, go ahead and believe in me. He's saying, right now, I can still use you regardless of the situation you currently sit in. Here's the thing, and this was cracking me up about this whole thing with Rahab. Do you remember the story of Rahab? Seriously. Some of y'all said, mm-hmm, y'all remember. And I'll tell you, it's okay. Joshua sent spies into um, Jericho, and, and, and they go in, and they were supposed to be, like, checking the place out, and then they end up having to, to go into Rahab's house, right? I don't know how they ended up at Rahab's house, but they ended up at Rahab's house. They go to Rahab's house, and the king sends men to the house. This is how, this is, this is so powerful. He sends men to the house, and... Now, they're going in to look for spies, someone who could potentially destroy everything. They walk up to Rahab's house, the harlot, and they knock on her door and say, um, can you send those men out? And she just, she, they gone already. Oh, okay, Rahab, we'll see you later. And they just leave. I want you to understand, and this is going to sound bad, Rahab was successful. They respected her because here's the thing have the police have you ever seen the police go to a place looking for somebody they tear up everything but not Rahab's house Rahab was respected and she was doing a good job at whatever she was doing I don't know what she was doing but she was doing a good job she could have kept doing a good job but God looks down and says listen because you decided to give yourself to me and repurpose yourself for me I'm going to make sure that your name is in the bloodline of Jesus I'm going to make sure that your name is connected with Christmas story. So whenever they start to talk about Christmas, they got to talk about Rahab. (laughs) Whenever they start to talk about Christmas, they got to talk about Tamar. Whenever they talk about Christmas, they got to talk about Jacob, Jacob the deceiver. Whenever they talk about Christmas, they got to talk about Judah. Whenever they talk about Christmas, they got to talk about Wanzel. Because it became an experience. There was a period in my life where I said, I want to experience, oh God. I saw him as credible in my eyes, and it was okay. I think the fear is, and I think I said this a minute ago, we tend to think that we come empty-handed and we don't have anything to offer a God like him. He said, I don't care. Here's the thing. I'm not God because of what you do and what you bring. I'm God because I am. Listen to me. 
I'm credible because of what I did, not because of what you did. I'm credible because I understand that there's a necessity for grace in your life, and I'm going to bring it every single time. And the reason why Matthew mentions these people with a checker pass is because he knew right now in Truth Movement Church on this day that we needed to make sure that we heard a story of grace and that people who did not have a background of holiness, who did not have a background of church, was used in the Christmas story. Oh, gosh, this is so bigger for me than it is for you. He cracks me up, though. He's in almost, you know, Matthew is kind of like that, that, uh, that friend you have that overshares. So he, he gets to, towards the end, and we've already talked about King David, and he says, um, he, says um, he, he, he implies four women, but he gives the name of three. But he gives the act of the fourth woman. He says, Uriah's wife. Listen to me, y'all. Think about how big this is. We all know Uriah's wife's name. What was her name? Bathsheba. We know what, we know what happened with Bathsheba. But the person that was, con- listen to me, the, the person that gave Jesus credibility, one of the persons was King David. Oh, gosh, y'all. Listen, I can, I can be something in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, regardless of what I've done. He sees me as necessary. Regardless of what you feel about me, regardless of what you think about me, God sees me in a different light. He says, I still can use you. You are still valuable to me, and I want you home. Okay. Y'all getting anything? Let's get this last point. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the message version. Matthew 9 and 9, message version. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds to get there. Okay, I'm going to read. Passing along, Matthew 9 and 9, message version. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at this work collecting, excuse me, let's read that again. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. They ain't talked to Jesus. They talked to the followers. Look at that. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with the crooks in the riffraff? Jesus overhearing, overhearing shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Matthew, um, and I'm sure you know this, the writer of this book was a publican. A publican was a, a tax collector. These were some of the most detestable people at this time in Jewish culture. They, I mean, for the lack of a better term, they were hated. They were, they, were, they were seen as less than because they got rich off the backs of their people. Rome would, would institute a tax, um, and because they didn't want to deal with the people, they would hire one of their people to collect the tax. And when they collect the tax, Rome said, well, if you can get more than that, get it. 
So what happened with the, with the tax collectors is that they would, they would collect Rome's tax, but then also there would be a little bit of surcharge for myself. They were seen as less than. They were, they were seen as detestable. So one day, um, Matthew is in um, his position doing what he typically does. He's collecting tax, and Jesus walks up. And he walks up to Matthew, who is seen as less than by society, and he walks up to him and says, follow me. Matthew hops up, and he goes with Jesus. But that, Jesus didn't stop there. He says, well, guess what? We're going to go to your house and throw a party. Let's go to your house. Invite all your friends. So all of Matthew's friends come to this party. So I started to ponder a bit, and I started to, 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 to really think. I'm like, well, now it makes sense to me why this guy Matthew wrote in the genealogy of Jesus all of these people that he did not have to mention. I got to give you my point so you fully get it. Point number two is this in the final point. Christmas means inclusion. Christmas means inclusion. Matthew's there doing his deal, and Jesus walks up, and he spends the, the, the next two to three years with Jesus, and Jesus changes his life. So as Matthew sits down to write his gospel, he's quite like John. John wrote his gospel later in life. Matthew wrote his later in life, not as late as, as, as John. But he sits down and starts to reflect on everything that had taken place with Jesus, and he sits down and writes the first words, and he starts out with a genealogy. And then he connects the dots for us from that genealogy to himself because he says, well, if, 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 if God included Rahab and Tamar and Manasseh and Jacob and Judah in the Christmas story, then I can see myself as being included in chapter 9 with my checker pass. Here's what I want you to hear. In the middle of his mess, watch this now, in the middle of his mess, he points him out and he says, you follow me. Come follow me. And Matthew's standing here a bit stunned. He says, I'm included in this? Well, listen to this. The church won't include me. My family won't include me. My people won't include me. But Jesus walks up and he says, listen, bro, come follow me, man. Come, come. We're going to have a good time at your house. Christmas means inclusion. Conceptually now, conceptually, that is hard for us to tend to understand. I'm included. I know what I did today, and you're telling me I'm included. I know how I felt about God, and you're still telling me that I'm included. I know what I've done, and you're trying to tell me that I'm included. And oftentimes, we struggle with this idea that, that Christmas is about grace, which is all inclusion. Everything's included. We're all included. I, re, um, I remember my first time um, going on a cruise. Who's been on a cruise? Now, I'm not a humongous cruise fan. It is what it is. Um, it's an experience. Um, but I remember my first time going on a cruise, and I believe, I believe somebody paid for our first cruise. I don't, yeah, they did. Somebody paid for our first cruise, and they were giving us, like, all the commentary that goes along with the cruise. Like, you get to eat whatever you want. So that sounds good, but I ain't never been any place where I can just eat whatever I want whenever I want. Specifically, if I got to pay this much money to get on this boat, it's like, I know all this stuff cannot be free. But then I also heard horror stories of people getting off the boat before they get off the boat. You know, you have to pay a bill. Like, you have to, you have to reconcile everything that you did on that boat. And before they <laughs> let you off the boat, you have to pay. 
I wanted to make sure me and my wife, my new wife, got off the boat. So I was concerned that we weren't going to get off the boat. But I could not conceptually bring into my mind that I could get on this boat and I could eat whatever I want whenever I wanted to eat it. And they specifically told me about these chicken wings on this boat. And I was extremely excited about these chicken wings. So I remember my first day on the, on the boat. And uh, I'm looking at <clears throat> Tina. And I'm like, well, do you want to call room service? Now, typically room service, you pay like a premium for it. So I pick up the phone, and I'm prepared. I'm, I'm going through our, our very small budget at the time. I don't think we had a budget. We were that broke. But I'm sitting on the boat, and it's like, this stuff has to be free because I don't have no money, and she don't have no money. This stuff got to be free. So I called down the room, so I was like, um, yeah, um, I want to order those chicken wings. And, uh, you know, <laughs> give, me some, give me some juice. <laughs> you got to pay for soda. So I give me the juice. The juice is free. I knew the juice was free. So the guy, so I'm walking around the room, and I'm not saying anything to Tina because we just got married, and I want to show her I'm a man. You know, I got this figured out. So I know these chicken wings are coming up to the room, and I got about 4 or $5 in my pocket, and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to slide this guy these $3 and pray that he doesn't ask me for some money and give me a bill. So the guy comes up. Um, he, he was a, a foreigner of sorts. I don't know what he was, but he had an accent on him. And he, he said, here, sir, here's, here's, here's your order. So I reached in my pocket, and I got them 2 or $3, and I slid it to him. And I just kind of looked at him because it created an awkward moment. I was expecting a bit more, like a bill or something. So I slid him those 2 or $3, and I just kind of looked at him. He said, thank you, sir. And he walked away. Me and Tina ate the chicken wings, and we kept eating chicken wings because we had found out, listen to this, we had found out that it was all-inclusive. Once the price was paid, everything else was free. You see, that is what Jesus wants us to understand about Christmas. The price was paid on Calvary's cross. It was already paid. His blood paid for that. And he's saying, listen, by grace, (laughs) you, 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 even you, Chantel, you, you, Max, Janiah, Pastor Martin, the musician that took two donuts. Listen, oh, you're included too. He says, listen, it's already been paid. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's included. So I'm throwing a party, y'all. Everybody can come. And everybody can come for free. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from that, thou shalt be saved. He said, that's the only exchange I want from you. I want you to know that I'm credible enough to have your belief. I'm credible enough for you to invest your faith. And once I say those words, once I mean that from my heart, I'm saved. I don't owe the church anything. (laughs) I don't owe religion anything. He says, you're included. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a hard one to swallow for me. Because I can, I can, I can, I can, I know me. Listen, I know me better than y'all know me. 
Let me give you a word of advice. If you don't know yourself better than people know you, then we need to have a discussion at the church. I know the stuff that I can get myself into mentally. And I oftentimes feel, well, that wasn't a holy thought. You ever been there? (laughs) That's not a holy thought. That feeling, that emotion wasn't of God. You know, you have to put of God. You know, that's what you got to put on it. Because listen to me, that is what our idea of God is. That is what our thought of God is, is that we have to be perfect. We have to be righteous all of the time. And what he's saying is this, even if you're not perfect, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from there, thou shalt be saved. You are included. That's inclusion, y'all. That is Christmas. A God. Decides to draw close to a people that had drawn far away from him. He says everybody's included in this. Rahab's included. Tamar's included. Jacob is included. The deceiver is included. The liar is included. The cheater is included. Everybody's included. Everybody could have a role in the Christmas story. Not just celebrating it, but experiencing it. So here's the thing. Here's what we tend to do, and I'm getting ready. I'm done. We, 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 uh, we'll create these piles in our life. I, uh, I have this thing about me. Um, I like to wash the clothes. I'm very specific about it. So my wife leads me to it. <laughs> you want to wash clothes? You're going to wash all those clothes. But because I'm so busy, I'm just throwing a disclaimer out there. I don't always get around to the clothes. So the clothes will pile up. You know, we've got God has blessed us with this big walk-in closet, and I think that's just a, like a, a ticket for us to say, just go ham and just throw everything in there. That's what we tend to do. Just throw it on the ground. That's what we do. So uh, I get these piles of dirty clothes in my closet, and it angers me. It really upsets me. So I'll say to myself, I might even take a day off from work if I have to, to wash these clothes. But something always happens when I get in the process of washing clothes that I can't finish. That ever happened to you? Like, you, you, know, you get all the clothes and they're in baskets. But I like to wash all of the clothes at one time. So there's this big pile of clothes now that's been created that's clean. It used to be a dirty pile, but now it's a clean pile of clothes. It, it doesn't matter if your pile is sin. It doesn't matter if your pile is righteousness. All of it has to be dealt with. And the only way that you can deal with it is by knowing that you're not credible by your doing. You're made credible by his doing. You are saved. You are vindicated by what happened on Christmas Day. So here's the thing. Stand to your feet. Do you just want to continue to celebrate Christmas? Or experience Christmas. Because here's what I can promise you. Just like my clothes that I let pile up, the dirty one made me angry. And then the, the clean one makes me angry. And, and what happens is, is that, well, I don't sin anymore. I don't have this pile of sin, so I feel okay coming to God. But then I create this pile of righteousness, and none of that works either because that doesn't meet the standard either. And I always have to try and make sure that my pile is bigger than the next person's pile because I've got to be right, and I've got to be holy, and I've got to be all this stuff. And what God is saying, none of this matters to me. 
You're not credible by your righteousness. You're not, you're made credible by your sin. You're made credible by what I did on Calvary's cross. And that started when I came and I wrapped myself in flesh and gave you an opportunity to come near me. So the question is, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue to just celebrate Christmas or experience it? Here's the thing. If you want to experience Christmas, you want to be included in that story, I want you to raise your hand. All I want you to do is repeat after me. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus. I thank you for wrapping yourself in flesh. And I thank you for sending me a savior. I determine today and decide today that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that you, God, raised him from the dead. And I know that that means that I am saved. And that means that I'm included in the Christmas story. Somebody give God a praise in this place. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.